Welcome to the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast, brought to you by United Basketball Clinics. I'm your host, Matt Smith. My hope is that throughout this podcast, you will gain knowledge in strategy, X's and O's, leadership, and culture building that will help you be a better coach and lead your team. Now, let's grow the game together. I'm looking forward to hearing what Coach John Kaufman has to share with us today on the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast. Coach Kaufman and his paint-touch-motion offense is a very efficient and fundamental offense that anyone who loves basketball should enjoy watching. Coach Kaufman is going to share the why for this offense and the principles and concepts he uses to make it successful. This is a great podcast for anyone looking for a more efficient offense and also understanding why it is important to run the offense through the paint. I want to welcome John Kaufman to the podcast. How you doing, Coach? I'm doing great. I appreciate you having me on, Matt. No problem. We're excited. Again, you've been a speaker at the Hoosier Gym Coaches Clinic twice. Um, always get rave reviews from your session. So I definitely want to have you on. But, man, let's look at how successful you've been. Average 19 wins a year. You beat Indiana back-to-back years, which is really unbelievable because you're based out of Indiana. Five uh, postseason tournaments. You won your Summit League regular season 2016. You have really done some great things there at Fort Wayne. What do you believe is one of the reasons for your success? Again, I look at your offensive system, which I've been very impressed with, but what do you think has led to your success as a coach and a leader for your team? Well, I think it really starts with our, our culture. Um, and, and that, you know, we can save that for another talk at some point, but, uh, you know, it's just, it's unselfishness and it breeds through everything we do and small acts of caring. Um, and then you see that and that resonates in how we play. We play extremely unselfishly. Um, and we've had 14 offensive, uh, statistics where we've been in the top 25. And I think it just all comes from how we share the basketball, um, you know, and then also, when, when, when I took over the program uh, as a head coach seven years ago, I, I, I recognized that, you know, a number of people may, may not have heard of, at that time, IPFW. And right. we've changed brands three times in my seven years. And so the way to recruit the best players is come up with kind of a sexy style of play. And so, you know, we're known for our offense. I take a lot of pride in that. Now, we do defend. We do play things. Although sometimes people may look at us when we're scoring, you know, 85, 90 points a game. And they may just say we get in, the way, get in your way defensively. But I do take a lot of pride in that offense. It's helped us to recruit really good players. And we've had 18 pros in the last decade, including John Conchar this last year, who he was playing 20 minutes a game for the Memphis Grizzlies uh, before the NBA shut down. And our last six point guards have all signed pro contracts. So I, I take a huge pride in that, but it, it really, really starts with the pace of play. Um, I, I'm, I'm really into playing at a high pace. And I like to differentiate pace from tempo. And so you'll, you'll, you'll hear a lot of teams that talk about, you know, tempo or pace and you look on the Ken Palm numbers and and we've been up and down with our tempo um, but I don't stress about that I, I I want to stress the pace of how quickly we can put pressure on the opposition's rim um, the most efficient time to score the basketballs in the first four seconds of the shot clock uh, but but then we're not looking to be a volume team we're not looking to get up more shots we're not charting how many more shots we're taking than the opponent. We're looking to hunt efficiency. Um, And that's when I kind of get into our our paint touch motion. Getting the ball down the floor quickly. And if if there's a great shot in that first four seconds or seven seconds, if that look isn't there, you're fine with going deep into the shot clock, correct? Absolutely. And and so where where we're looking, so our our two primary goals are going to be attack number one and that's that word stands for everything we do when we put our hands in our huddles every huddle we'll ever have we're going to finish it with attack and it's that mentality of we want to attack everything we do and on the offensive side on the basketball side of it it really talks about putting pressure on the other rim with great pace and that's where we're looking to get deep outlets um we're looking to always kick ahead we're running with our space into the deep corners um, and, and then we're looking to win the lines. That's another uh, sort of quote that you've, I, I know you've posted that on some of the social media after I've, after I've spoken. And, and what I mean by winning the lines is we want to win the free throw line. 
which means we want to make more free throws than the, our opposition uh, attempts. And that means we're in attack mode. We're not just settling for threes. Like you scout us, you watch us. We're always in the top 25 of every three-point category. All right. But we also want to win the free throw line, but also win the three-point battle. So if we feel like we can win the free throw line, then make more threes than our opponents, I think just no matter what you do on the defensive end, you have a great shot at, at winning that game because now you're aggressively getting to the rim. You're getting their best players on, on the bench. You're getting a lot of dunks free throws, layups, but then also getting 10-toed open threes. Or how do you teach what is a great shot within your offense? Because you want to put pressure on the rim, pressure on the three-point line, the free throw line. So how do you define what is a great shot for your team? So that's sort of the basis of everything we do. After you get into pace and space, it, it, it turns into paint-touch shots. And this is something that I brought into the program as an assistant. It's become very in vogue in the NBA now. Um, at the time, nine years ago, when we started introducing it, um, I had used it at a past school um, to sort of evaluate where we were offensively, but it's been sort of the core of everything we do. And so we, our goal going into the game is that 80% of our shots are going to be paint touch shots. And the way we define a paint touch versus a non-paint touch is that you're either going to throw it to the post, and that's within a step of the post, and we're not splitting hairs on that. It's sort of that inside-out basketball. Either right. throw it to the post or you're driving into the paint. And so it's almost like a dome. It's about playing inside-out. I call it accordion basketball. My, uh, my, my grandfather, he, was, uh, he lived to be 98. He was a one-man band up in uh, – uh, uh, up in uh, Frankenmuth, Michigan, where my grandma would hold the harmonica and he'd play the accordion, this inside out. And I just, I took that word and I, I introduced it to our guys because most of them, they don't even know what an accordion is. It's about putting pressure on the rim, all right? And that stresses out the defense and then you relieve it by playing inside out. And so there are a couple basketball plays that we take out of our formula. All right, in terms of that 80%, we take out a jailbreak where we get a steal and you're going down for a, a, a dunk or a layup or you turn the ball over or whatnot. Um, we also will uh, – we will take out – well, we do keep our turnovers in there because that becomes a possession. We also will take out a set where it's a scripted, maybe a flare screen for our best shooter. We just take that completely out of the equation as well as if we are kicking ahead – uh, which we always want to do to create the pace and put pressure on the rim, and we get a 10-toed open three, we take that out of the equation. Now, where we stress our efficiency is that over nine years, we've shot 62% on paint-touch shots and 31% on non-paint-touch shots. So it's a 31% differential um, between a paint-touch and a non-paint-touch. And then, you know, we talked about our goal. Our general goal has been 80%. What we've gone to in the last two to three years is that, that we've really focused in on on the road, let's get to 90% paint touch shots. If we're playing against somebody who we call them a 30-40 team, a team that's trying to grind out that 30-second shot clock for 40 seconds, they won't play with the pace that we will. Um, and it's going to be a possession-type game. We, we, our goal is to have 90% paint touch shots. So does a lot of that – offense because an impressive stat was you said your last six point guards were playing professional basketball correct that's correct so are you is your point guard just really one of the skill sets to be able to get downhill and find the open man do do your point guards average quite a few assists as well or are they kind of scattered out amongst the team so as you look at our group and and really the best where we've been the most elite is a the four-year period from 2016 to 2019, where we were during that four-year period, we were number three in points per game, number four in three-point field goals per game, number 10 in two-point field goal percentage and effective field goal percentage, number 16 in three-point field goal percentage, number 18 in assists, which is what you're referring to, and number two in ball screen efficiency uh, when it relates to points per possession. And so particularly that ball screen efficiency and our assists per game, that all starts with our, with our point guards. Um, I think the two hardest things to guard in college basketball are a transition ball screen where you have elite pace, 
behind that ball screen. So a quick ball screen transition with a five out, kind of a, a, a trailing five man. Right. Or it could be maybe a five runs to the hoop, and now you get a naked wing ball screen with your four, as long as they'll do some sort of hedge. They don't just switch it on you. Um, and then closeouts, long closeouts, which we hunt in our, we call it paint touch motion, which is we love ball reversal whether it's a skip pass or going from edge to edge from the sides. So those are all initiated by our point guard. So having a high-level point guard does really help you. And obviously, we lose a, an NBA point guard this year, have a sophomore point guard who played all off the ball the year before, and our numbers dropped this year from where they had been for you know a five, six, seven-year period. But we have had six really high-level point guards. But it's everybody we recruit. I love – I mean, we're trying to recruit a point guard in every class. Um, we love combo guards. We love guys that, you know, I think the best way to shoot the ball is to find guys that really pass the ball. We talk about every pass in our program is coached. We talk about shot passes, throwing to their shooting pocket so they're getting shots in rhythm. And the more guys that you see that will move the ball, we call it a click-clack pass. And I, I love it. I mean, I mark down guys when I'm evaluating. If a guy is a willing passer, he's willing to just make – that hockey assist, that extra pass, when it's not leading to an assist, I love that. I mark right. those guys down. And so we're trying to recruit those guys. Can you dive into a little more about why you love long closeouts and how you look to attack the long closeout? Because I think a lot of coaches hear that, but we don't hear about the why sometimes and what specifically you want to do with that long closeout because that's when the defensive player is kind of at the will of the offensive player. What are they going to do? Especially if you have a guy – who shoots a high level from three and can get to the rack? Well, it, it starts with the pace of play. Uh, uh, you'll hear me say all the time in practice, get them on the move, keep them on the move. And so if you can take pace and get them on the move in transition, you can get closeouts out of transition. And now you just keep that – we call it keep the ball happy. The ball's moving. It doesn't freeze. And we just keep them on the move until we end up with a an open shot either at the rim or, or a 10 toe 3 All right, then we hunt – we love transition ball screens, which – not I bet 90% of our our, uh, our possessions, whether it's after a make or a miss, come with a a transition ball screen to initiate it, getting into our uh and in, getting into our, our our paint touch motion. Now, with that, where I think we're different is we we really hunt that five out. A lot of teams call it the spread ball screen, where it's a five man either trail where it comes in transition or a sprinting out, which we may find a five out ball screen in our half court motion as well. And what, what I transitioned to about four years ago when we didn't have necessarily a natural back to the basket score, we just graduated a guy who was 6'9", 295, and was second in the country in field goal percentage. We're playing with more of a hybrid forward post and trying to be a little bit more mobile with that. And so we, we changed our ball screen operation in terms of instead of reverse pivoting ceiling high so that we could create the space for scoring on the pass with the throwback action to throw it in there we we came up with uh, what we called our attack the tag which okay. we now when we set a ball screen we look to flip our head and sprint as quickly as you can underneath the rim we rarely will throw it in that mid area we look to more get as quickly as you can down underneath the, uh, the, uh, the charge circle. And then we're looking to get big and deep. And what that does is it creates what we call a deep tag. Who's going to tag? The tag is the words or the phrase that I use for whoever's helping on that role. And so now the attack, the tag, our point guard, or it could be our two-man, our three-man, our four-man. All four of them get ball screens uh, once you break down into our motion. And that's where we're looking to quarterback the ball screen, attack the tag. We find out who is tagging, and that'll be a pre-scout. So yeah. it may be they're tagging in the back action. A lot of teams will do that if you're setting a ball screen in the slot or in the dead center coming at the side of two. Or it may be on the side of two, and now that's our scout going into the game, and that's where we come off, and now we're looking to snap a pass to that player. And so more than scoring downhill off that ball screen, we're looking to score off the long closeout of snapping a pass to whoever is tagging, whatever defender is tagging. So then the third way that we're going to get our long closeouts are once we get into our, 
our, our, our five game or our, 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 uh, our paint touch motion is we want to swing the ball from edge to edge, our two bottom X's. All right, and it doesn't matter. We've shifted it from being lower to higher, depending on whether we like to hunt baseline attack or middle attack that year. We can shift it going into a scout as well. But typically we have our four, uh, our four X's where we fill. We play four round one, and then our edges are just those bottom X's. And either on a skip pass or quick swing where the ball doesn't freeze, we want to get from edge to edge. And now on that closeout, we're looking to attack that closeout. And a move that we work on every day is what we call the rip, rip back. You know, anybody can rip baseline, and we love to rip baseline. We run the baseline drift and the cover behind, like everybody in the country. But if we can hunt double gaps where we're always passing and cutting, and we do more cutting than screening in our, in our motion, now we're looking to drive middle off of that double gap. And now you get into the paint. And you're either looking dump down to the post or inside out play from there. And those are, that's action that we just, we love. We love that driving kick out of our motion. That leads me to my next thought while you were talking. When your players cut, are they cutting to score or just cutting to mainly get that double gap? You know, we, we, we ha- you have to cut to score or guys just sit there in that gap. You know, one of the proudest I've ever been is the first half against Liberty where we're down playing them to, uh, I guess it was three years ago. They had a really good team, and, you know, they run the Virginia pack line, and, and they really jump hard into that gap. They sit in that gap, and we scored, we scored 45 points on them in the first half. And it's because we were able to vacate those gaps, and we caught firing on our cuts and creating that space, but also making you defend our cuts to where, you know, and it adjusted a little bit this year. With the new three-point line, it took us longer to vacate those, those gaps. And so we're looking to cut deep, hard, okay? And, and we call it firing on that to where if you cut shallow, that's where teams will make, maybe they'll, they'll switch on those, on those cuts. But, uh, but we get a ton of scoring off of our cuts, um, to where two years ago we were number six in the country in two-point field goal percentage, and we didn't have a post player that could score that could consistently score with his back to the basket. And we got that off of just you know cutting off of things and getting back cuts. So, do you want your offensive player cutting to the charge circle, cutting underneath the rim? Like, where do they complete their cut to? And are they filling out to the opposite side, looking to uh, maybe peek in the short corner some? Or do you give them flexibility about where they decide to vacate? They do have some flexibility that we call it a, a wing gap cut is one to where they're going to they're gonna swing it and they, they swing it edge to edge. And then they're vacating a, a top X on a wing gap to where they're, they're cutting through the charge circle and then out opposite. Okay. And then if they take what we call a wing clip cut, which is more that old style of dribble drive, they will cut deeper to where you can't switch, but then they fill out into the ball side corner and both creating for middle drives. Now, we like the wing gap cut better because now it's leaving that the, the man who gets the cut, he gets, he gets two directions to go. He gets to either rip baseline or rip middle. Um, and that goes back, I was talking earlier about a move that we work on every single day. It's what we call our rip, rip back move which is where we're going to catch it on a long closeout and we're going to use our head, shoulders, and the ball, and we're going to sell a baseline rip and hopefully adjust the closeout, the long closeout's foot angles to where we sell that baseline rip and then we rip back to get to the middle. We do love middle drives, probably more than we love baseline because you eliminate the baseline driver, and there's really no solution to that as long as you're, you're not just passing and freezing in those gaps. Right. Can you talk about some of the, spe- the specific technique about the rip, rip back? Am I just kind of turning my shoulders? Is the ball moving from shoulder to shoulder, hip to hip, and I come back? Let's say, if, say I'm on the, I'm the three on the left-hand side of the floor, so I can come back middle. What's the specific technique? And Because I, I would think maybe at the beginning some guys travel with that or refs think they travel. So we try to limit the turnovers with that. Well, we, and, and, and you're, you're exactly right on that with the, with the travels. We try to limit what you do with your feet. We don't talk about doing a jab step. Most guys naturally want to do a jab step. And in our program, we, we typically play left foot down 
um, in terms yeah. of our shooters. We, we work really hard on doing early work to get square to the rim, to get to 10-toed threes, okay? And so most of our work is done only so you're squared up to the rim playing with your left foot. Well, you know, that works out That works out well when you're on the left side of the floor as you're driving middle, but not so well when you're on the right side of the floor. So we try to really limit the movement of our feet to where you're doing more with your head, shoulders, and the ball as you sell it. And really, we talk about a violent move, all right? Be a salesman, sell it with your head, uh, ball, and shoulders, and, and, and let's be violent as we go rip and then ripping back to the middle and, and not do any sort of jab steps. Um, now, sometimes we'll have our guys, like if we're feeling pressure on a gap, we'll, we'll, do our, we'll catch inside foot just on a typical fill up in our motion. Um, but rarely are you getting a closeout if you're feeling that pressure for that catch. Right. Well, since you want your guys attacking, getting downhill, what are some specific finishing techniques you work on and how much time do you dedicate to that at practice? So it starts with our passing techniques as we get into the paint. And so what'll happen is sometimes, you know, teams are choosing you know, they're poison, whether they're going to, uh, maybe they do a drop hedge on your ball screens to really put a center down low to kind of defend you. Or maybe, uh, maybe as you get into the paint and they recognize, well, they're doing a lot of driving kicks. So now they're going to stunt and spray back off of that man. Or maybe they're tra- staying true to it to where you have some elite drivers who are really good scoring into the paint. So now they're coming hard at you and you get your natural just play off of two feet. So we have a couple techniques that we work on with our passing. We call it the S dribble, where sometimes some of our guys, particularly guys that maybe they're, they're not your point guards or your combo guards, they're your threes and fours and they're driving, and they, they, get, they get in trouble getting deep into the paint, trying to score, they draw a crowd, and now we talk about not playing over the top of crowds. We talk about if you can't get to the free throw line, draw a foul, now let's kick it to where – that's what we call our S dribble, to where you take an extra dribble, so you've made a, a, a loop to get into the uh, paint, and now an extra dribble to kind of gather your feet to now you're flipping, almost that Euro flip out there. Um, we also talk about our probe to where you get in there, maybe they spray and you want to keep your dribble alive. And so now you keep that dribble alive and you're doing some different foot angles to create some odd angles. Maybe a back cutter is cutting off of your probe dribble. Maybe you fill out to a, a just one of the X's and now you're getting the ball happy and moving it again. Then our other one, our other one's going to be what we call a kickstand. Um, we talk about now, I don't critique guys. Guys are sometimes going to get into the paint and they're going to jump up in the air and make a pass. And I'm okay with that. Just don't turn it over. The only time I critique you is when you get into the air and you turn it over. We talk about, we talk about don't find a pass in the air. You make a pass in the air. So you got to find that pass. Now you jump to make that pass. But if you sit down on what we call a kickstand, which is where you got a pivot foot. Now you can reverse pivot. And we're always covering or filling that gap or hunting a shot, finding eyes on the basketball behind the action to where now guys keep hunting shots as you sit down at kickstand. And don't be impatient. It's not always driving a beautiful kick. A lot of times you drive, sit down on a kickstand, and now it's where other teams get lazy or they, they get frozen on the ball. And that's where you get a back cut. We back cut off of those kickstands. Or now – a guy's eyeball the kickstand guy, and now guys are ten-toed sliding on the perimeter, and they hunt a three. And then we also are going to work on just different creative finishes. We don't love scoring over the top, but you have to be able to be a scoring threat to where, you know, sometimes your smaller guards, you're going to have to teach them the teardrop or the floater move. But we also talk about we love layups and fouls and dunks. So now we're teaching what we call the reverse micing, which is going off your right foot, scoring with your left hand. Um, we talk about – we teach the Kareem with our, our, uh, our hooks. If you get in there and you play slow on your pro, we'll teach that Kareem hook shot. Um, you know, and then we also talk about the pivot, 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 which is that kickstand move to where maybe you get a step through into the paint and score the basketball. Right. No, that's good. Um, if you have a dominant big, like you talked about a few years ago, how do you implement when you get that recruit who can play with his back to the basket in this style of play? And how do you play off of him once he receives a pass in the post? Well, the, the, 
the nice part, it makes everything a little bit easier. Yeah. Uh, just because you're, you're getting your long closeouts just by the backside help. And so we were, we were really good when we had big Steve um, to where he just, we would swing the ball. It wasn't as critical that you would cut. And sometimes you would hold a cut so that you could play the triangle and throw it back. All right, to be able to play. But oftentimes you could you could literally get those great closeouts by skip passes because the backside and you get it from your edge to edge just by having a great post. But what we really emphasize and where our five man plays into our our four out one in uh, paint touch motion is that we're going to always give them one uh, one ducking and we call that reverse ducking. So we come to a timeout. And, and, and we say, hey, let's look for a, a post-touch on this possession. In our motion, the best way to get a post-touch is reverse duck, and it's swinging edge to edge. And we don't have our five men. They don't chase the ball because we love to have a vacant post to where we can drive baseline and not have a postman there. But if you swing it and now you have a post player that happens to be on that post side, we call that a post-closeout to where now he's looking to take up space versus give up space and he's looking to attack the the uh the, the post defender and he wants to put his top leg in between his legs but attack his his lower leg to where we love it when they want to go high side so now we reverse pivot we get our elbows we call them double l's and we're trying to keep that man on the high side and we put our our low foot in the basket to try and score on the pass We'll either do a baseline rip pass or throw it up by the corner of the backboard. And one of our rules in our program is that we never want to throw it into the post above the free throw line. Just eliminate your turnovers, okay? Like, and so we're always looking to, to throw it in from that. And that goes back to I talked a little bit about the timeouts, and I just now talked about our touch base on the turnovers. So as I go into a timeout, and this is where that paint touch really has helped me, particularly as a young coach. I mean, you know, Seven years ago when I was starting out my first time out, and I'm like, how can I simplify to where maybe the game's going really fast to me? And I've maintained this to where there's really four stats that I have. We keep our war sheet to where my, my director of basketball operations hands me a little sheet as I walk into the timeout. It has a score during that four-minute war in between media timeouts. And a great example is let's just say uh, we won that war 11-2, to two, okay? now. The first thing is, okay, is that success or is a little bit of fault, you know, feeling? We just made a couple shots. Now I look at our paint touch shot rate, okay, which is how many, you know, did we meet that 80% goal, okay? Then I have our, uh, our, our defensive rebounding, so the other team's offensive rebounding. That's a possession stat. And then our turnovers, that's a possession stat. So – the uh, first thing I do is look at our, our paint touch shot rate. And if I look at it and we had seven of our eight shots were paint touch shots, I tell the guys, I have, hey, guys, have great poise. The numbers will play out. I know they beat us 11 to 2, but we got great shots. We were in attack mode. We were getting the paint. All right, let's knock those down. Okay. Then I would look at, okay, are we down 11 to 2? Not because of our process, but because of some outcomes. Did we turn it over? Or did it come because we gave up second possessions on our offensive rebound? So now it's a next category that I would coach. But if we're up 11 to 2, I'm sorry, if we're down 11 to 2, all right, and we come in there and two of our eight shots were paint touch shots, I say, hey, guys, we're settling for shots. We're not aggressive. We're not getting to the paint. We're not throwing it to the post. So maybe I come out of that timeout with a post touch set coming out of that timeout and really focus in on our attacking as we go through it. So, you know, I love how we go into timeouts. And so it simplifies someone like myself who, you know, hey, even seven years in, like the game is still hitting you really fast. You got a lot of factors. And if you, if you can dumb it down so that you can really look at these statistics as you go into a timeout, I think it really helps you. We'll be right back to the interview in just a few moments. But first, I want to thank you for listening to the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast. And if you like what you hear, we'd love to have you write us a review. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast or about United Basketball Clinics, you could follow us on Twitter at United underscore clinics. Or you could visit our website at UnitedBasketballClinics.com. 
I uh, want to get back to one thing that just crossed my mind. You mentioned the rip, rip back from the baseline. Do you t- have a different method from attacking if you're from, like, say, the elbows extend or the free throw uh, lane lines extended? Do you have a different method you attack depending on where you are on the floor? So what we look to do, and we flatten out our offense a lot because we're swinging edge to edge and we're typically cutting away. Okay, as right. you as you play the game. So what we we'll get ourselves flat sometimes, and then we may use a dribble reversal to kind of balance ourselves out. Or you know, you 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 catch the other team in the middle of that uh that that that, that middle drive or baseline drive, and you fix it off of that. Um, but uh, but 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 where where you run into trouble, all right, in terms of of of, of bad spacing, is where you you stand in those gaps. If you stand and you can't drive, that's where that ball gets frozen, and that's where we would dribble at you, and now you get a back cut to get the ball because inevitably it's it's going to happen at times. Right. Did I answer yeah. that question? Yeah, you did. I was also asking: Is there any technique you look to? Let's say the guy has the double gap there. Okay. He wants to get downhill. Yeah. Um, is there another technique you look to attack? Are you always are you looking to do the rip, rip back from anywhere on the floor? Or is that just a baseline? Oh, move? I'm sorry. Going back to the slot. Yep. I no, actually, you're good. Well, and and that's where in our motion we try not to drive the slot a ton. Okay. Unless you have awkward spacing, like the way you play. Sometimes you get overloaded, and and if we get in a funky spacing, we're okay with that. Eventually, you want to balance out, but sometimes that leads a huge double gap with the slot there. We do love slot drives, but we typically use that in scripted setups, whether it's a baseline out-of-bounds set or it's a a set we're running off a dead ball to utilize that. Now, some of our best players, like we, they're explosive enough to where they can drive bad space and not get caught. But, you know, in our – we use – and this is a Davidson. I've stole this from the Davidson guys um, a couple generations. Uh, uh, Larry Zimmerman down at, at Emory uses this word, this phrase all the time, good space, bad space. And so you don't want to drive bad space. And so we're always filling up once you get flat, and then we're filling up so that you can keep that ball moving. And so if you, if you want to drive that, you don't want to drive the bad space. So we don't spend a ton of time – on that, we call those click clack spots, and that's an old Dick Devenzio term where he wants to catch it and quickly click clack and move that to the next. To where we we would prefer to attack from the edges, but at the end of the day, our best teams we haven't overcoached it. We just play. They recognize good space, bad space. They attack some of the awkward spacing where maybe we get you know for some reason we're coming off a ball screen where we get different spacing in a ball screen where we're utilizing deep corners and now you're coming off of that you have an odd spacing and now you drive a slot do you have any specific actions you like to get into if you get really deep in the shot clock let's say you know under eight under seven or do you guys just play it through or do you have some things you try to get into if you get to that deep moment so we we do not we do not like to ever pull the ball out our 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 philosophy has been put pressure on the rim and with great pace and maintain it for 40 minutes or as long of the shot clock as you can until you're going to end until you get an uncontested shot or, 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 you know, the best shot you possibly can get. And so when you pull the ball back out to get a flat high ball screen or something like that, I think that that takes away you know, where you've got them on the move and you keep them on the move. Well, you just let them all get back into the gaps. So we try to avoid that. So if we get to a clock situation, what we look to do is we look to stretch those gaps to where we look to, if the ball's in the center of the court or wherever the ball is, we look to get deep corner, maybe back cut or make a shallow cut to create a double gap. And then you're looking to get to the rim or drive and kick off of that. So, and at eight seconds, you'll hear an echo in our program of clock. And, you know, really, this last year we had a little more because we had, we had nine newcomers. We, had, we lost four guards to graduation the year before, two of which are pros, one's in the NBA. And so we had a little bit more clock situations. But typically in, in, the, in the seven, eight years prior to that, we didn't have a lot. Um, but if we did, it was like double gap, drive and kick, or drive and get to the free throw line. Right. No, no, that's good. So since you guys 
shoot it well and efficiently and you shoot it from three a bit at your practices, how much time are you giving towards your offense development and, and shooting? And I know you're a college program. A lot of guys listening are high school programs, but you still have limited hours. You can give basketball a week. So we're, we're trying to shoot at least 30% of practice. Okay. That's our, that's our goal. And that's uh, within your breakdown drills within the offense or just shooting with a partner on a goal. That's every, everything shooting. We're looking okay. for, you know, 30% of our practice. And, and I'd like it to be higher. Um, I, I was blessed uh, to, to work at Stetson University for eight years early in my career. And, and Glenn Wilkes, who is uh, in the Hall of Fame in the NCAA, is the all-time winner, uh, 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 winningest coach in history down at Stetson. And uh, I'd go out to coffee or lunch with him often I was down there and I always ask him, you know, what, what is something, you know, and here he is, I mean, he's like 95 years old now or 90, what's he, 92 years old. And he went to Italy with us three years ago, took our team to Italy. And I asked him again, like whatever, 30 years after he had been coaching. And he always would say, if I had to go back and do something different, I'd shoot the basketball more. And it doesn't matter how many great sets you can draw up, but if you don't make a shot at the end of it, it's not great offense. And we found that out this past year to where, you know, our numbers weren't nearly as good as they had been. Um, and so we just had to shoot, 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 and shoot more. Um, but uh, we do a lot of our, our motion work is done 5-on-0, 4-on-0, 3-on-0 with breakdown drills. And there's names to everything we do so that if I'm in a timeout, because we're playing 80% of the game in, in, in motion, and I say, hey, let's hunt wing clip cuts or let's go all – uh, let's go all wing clip cuts now because they're switching every time we go to a wing gap cut, um, you know, or let's, let's, uh, let's look reverse duck in because we need to get a post touch. And so there's names to everything we're doing. And so we're popping through those in our breakdown drills. Um, as we split up, we typically will go two wing breakdowns and then a post our five men are our post. And then our breakdowns are one through fours. They're all doing the exact same thing and working on ball screen offensively as well as all their cuts. Um, but you know, we're doing some number shooting to where, like, for example, we call it our Montana drill where you're looking to, you got a partner and a shooter and you got two minutes on the clock and you're trying to close out a spot. So if you make two in a row, you close out that spot. And then you rotate to the next spot. So you go corner, wing, top of the key, wing, corner, corner, wing, and you come back around. And good shooters in our program have been able to make 10-plus in two minutes on that. Used to be 11. We dropped it back one when we went to that, that deeper arc. So, you know, we have some time shooting goals type stuff we're doing, but also we do a lot of just – scripted motion and driving kick or read and react type stuff so that we're getting it. One thing I like about your offense and as I hear you speak is your terminology is pretty simple. I know there's a lot of terminology, but is that something over time that you become, I don't say a master at, but you become better at simplifying the offense, simplifying the terminology. So kids aren't thinking so much and just being able to play. Yeah. I, well, I, I also like, so we talk about pace. And so our pace of our, I, I want pace to be in everything we do. And so I sent our, our, our strength coach down to uh, hang out with Shaka Smart strength coach six, seven years ago because of how fast they play. And he uses the term transitions all the time. That's the, the key to the game. There's just hundreds of transitions throughout a game. And so they train in their weight room with pace. And so they have what they call transition series. And so a lot of us call those circuits, but like in our, in our program, our, our, our strength coaches with our guys, probably more than us all through the summer and so forth. So he's using the same terminology. So we've defined this terminology within our program that goes from our strength program to our trainer, to us as we play through it. And so I want there to be power words that represent much more than just that. And I want, you know, as we have assistants come in and out of the program, we have, you know, we, we've had, tra you know, we've had transfers come in. They get a year. That's great. You know, we've had junior college guys and we need them to be able to acclimate really, really quickly. We want to have a freshman be ready to play immediately. And so with all that, we're trying to create ways to, to understand the game quickly. Two years ago, we went to both a video and a book of a glossary 
to where those power words and, you know, unfortunately it keeps growing, which I don't like that. It's like the NCAA manual now, right. you know, it's got so many words you get lost in that, but those power words help us. And that also helps us to where in practice, um, we have time to transition. So I teach the guys a drill. There's a name to a drill. I bark it out and we put 10 seconds on the clock and then they're sprinting and organizing themselves. So it's leadership, it's communication, and it's pace of our practice because I want to get more in than other people do because you can't practice really, really long if you want to play as fast as we play. So we're trying to get the most out, be efficient with our practice time. Coach, I know some guys are thinking this as they hear you speak. When you see a zone, do you attack the zone with the same type principles or do you have a completely different – and we don't have to dive into it necessarily, but or do you attack it with the pace and tempo and spacing and getting into the paint? Uh, the, the, best, the best way to beat a zone is to get stops because it's, it's virtually impossible if you have elite pace to get back and match up into a zone. And so we really emphasize, I mean, obviously the getting the stops, you're always emphasizing that, but, but that's an inspiration to that is, is hey, if you inspire them, if you get stops, man, now you're going to be able to play in transition. We love transition ball screens because now, you know, you get to just like we play against man. Now you get two men on the ball, which you love against his own two men on the ball with the ball screen. And so we get to play that same stuff uh, out of that. Then in our motion, Instead of our cuts are a little bit different, uh, and we do play motion against the zone. We let our guys, we try to teach them how to play, how to read and react. And so now we, we, we call, so if, you, if you're going to pass, you're allowed to fish. We call it fishing in the middle, okay? Our postmen have to stay low. We don't want them fishing up into the middle because now if we get a middle drive, they're just clogging things up. We have them play lower. So if we get a high-low action where we hit a guard in that high post, now you have a man who can score it on that high-low as you, as you play it into that. But as you pass, you're allowed to fish and pause. And one of our cutters is allowed to always fish around that elbow. And we love it if, you're, uh, if, you're, if the ball's up top, we call it a slot eye where we like you to be even with that man, okay? So if the man's on, on the slot, we like to be in an eye level with him because we think in a, in a two-front zone, it's really hard to guard that. If the ball's on a wing, we like to hunt that mid post to where you drop a couple steps down. So now maybe they guard you, but they're guarding you with a guard, and that makes for a long closeout, which we love as you skip it to that guard. But then once you fish, you can always – you can always, you know, you, you fish and then you move There's one, two, three passes, and then you're going to release yourself, get out and go to another spot opposite, and then another man can fish. Okay, so it's not designated just one player can do this. I just know I don't, I don't go in there till he vacates, but I yeah. can stay in there for two or three passes, you know, five or six seconds, and then I'm vacating to another spot. That's good. That's that. That's good. We and call then, it the fish. We call it the fishing hole. He's in there. He's fishing that hole, and they're in the zone. And then we're always cutting behind him, and we're trying to always keep you moving. So in our motion, whether it's man or zone, our principles are going to be our principles are going to be uh, 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 is going to be ball movement, player movement, spacing, and we do that with the zone and man to man. Yeah. And it's easier for players to learn principles as opposed to having to learn a whole separate playbook necessarily of 17 quick hitters to go against various zones that you might see. I know high school level, again, you're division one, but you know, we may see zone three straight games, man to man, five straight games. It's just, you never know what you've got to be prepared for all of it for sure. Well, the key, the key that, and what makes this even harder at the high school level is that we're able to recruit. And so, you know, we, we, it, a lot of this does not work if you don't have four shooters on the perimeter because it's particularly the ball screen stuff where if, if, if they have a designated tagger or, or they can just constantly go under on your ball screens and not tag at all and do drop hedges, it can kind of screw up everything that you're doing. And so that's a big part of it too. And that's where teams get forced into going set, set, set. And that's where we had to do a little bit more of that this year, and we weren't as efficient. And then we fixed it in recruiting, hopefully, by recruiting a couple of higher-level shooters this offseason. 
some of the best coaches I know are high school recruiters. I know are high school coaches, but that's a different, different topic. (laughs) (laughs) But no, that's important though, because I've had players on the floor, but I've never had four knockdown shooters or four guys who can get downhill. But I remember seeing you at the Hoosier gym coaches clinic when you were first there, I came back and we talked about paint touches within our offense. Now we didn't do exactly what you do, but we had a span of games where we shot, I think 46% from paint touch three and about 29 to 31% from just, you know, non paint touch threes. And so my guys would love to penetrate and kick out. My bigs would throw that, that diagonal. So within our style of play, we still figured out it's a high percentage shot, regardless if I focus my entire offense around it, or it's just kind of a philosophy that we want to get to uh, when possible. No, it, it, if you take anything out of how we play, it's it's hunting the paint touch shots because it's it's just it's great inside out. It also I like to coach process versus shot. And you know when you're when you're saying good shot bad shot, as soon as you say bad shot, ninety uh, percent of your players like you've just lost them, and you definitely have lost his mom and dad because Johnny can always shoot it like and so and so this way we talk about get the green light. And so now it's the process. We're hunting the green light of getting to the paint. And then what's happened is is, is, is you end up with working the, the, the defense. And if you move the ball, and, and we chart, you know, sides of the floor, okay? And we chart different things like that. But we, we try not to overcoach all of that stuff. And so by just getting to the paint, you're getting that inside out, which affects the efficiency. Two things that I, I really think are important – um and this is all levels is that so many times like you you watch guys going inside foot to get up their jump shots and they they have a they they almost pace themselves to catch it in rhythm and they're not square on the catch and i i use the analogy with our guys like where i i almost obnoxiously go up to the free throw line and i'm facing the sidelines going through my routine and then i turn you know as soon as i start to shoot i turn to the rim and I shoot the basketball, I said, do, do you see anybody in the country doing this? And they're like, no. And I'm like, well, no, because you're, you're ch- there's all this movement in your shot. Let's make the three-pointer as easy as possible, and let's get ourselves square. And so, so much of being uh, efficient, so much of being consistent is about early work, getting yourself set. And so we talk a lot about getting to 10-toed. We call them 10-toed threes, where you're square to the rim, so everything's moving towards the basket. And so what we'll do as you are doing, we call it a cover or a slide. A cover is when you're filling up in the gap to get a, a, a shot. A slide is moving towards the baseline to get a shot. And we call it sprint to slide, to where you're going to sprint to cover distance and then when you get in that area to where you think you're ready to shoot or going to get a shot, that's where you turn sideways and you finish with a couple slide steps to where you're 10 toes, so you're coming towards the basket. Then we talk a lot about shot passes, and we always start practice with a passing drill, one passing drill. There's usually passing with shooting, but sometimes it might be um, you know just a, a post-feed drill to start practice with some cuts off of it. But after that one drill, like it's impossible to practice passing, passing, passing. So we coach passing in our program throughout practice. Everything you do, we're going to coach it. And, and I, am, I am killing my coaches, all of my assistants on, do not let a pass go by without coaching it. So you're talking about shot pass. Throw it to them in rhythm and step and pass. If you look at turnovers, I would say passing turnovers, where it's not just a bad decision, just execution. 90% of those turnovers are because they got caught. They didn't step and pass. And a lot of times if a guy shoots into a gap and you step and pass, you can stop that pass. But it also just is the technique to throw a good, solid shot pass. And so we're coaching that. If we're doing three-man, two-ball drill, uh, pass shooting drills, we're coaching every one of those passes. We put them on the perimeter so it's a one more, or we put them – you know, on the logo in the paint where it's an inside-out pass, or we put him on the baseline where he's doing a reverse pivot, which is our kickstand pass, and now we're stepping and passing and snapping that pass to our guys. So I think those two skill sets or coaching those every day can really help your team become better shooters. No, that's really good. I mean, too many times you see a guy receive a pass – 
his right-handed shooter at his left shoulder, at his left hip, and it lowers their percentage. I don't know the exact analytics, but I, I think at least 10 to 12% easily at the high school level. The college level may be a little more skilled, but no, the, I like that you start every practice with a passing drill. Uh, that's really good. Well, Coach, I want to ask you, what is it? what was it like to beat Indiana? And and what did that did what did that do for your program? Put them on the map a little bit, national. I mean, what what was that like for for you who coaches in Indiana? You know the it's Hoosier Nation. So it's funny, um, and and as we're in this COVID time right now, and media's looking to uh, to get creative with uh, with what they're putting on the air. Um, they reached out to me about playing the uh, the home win against Indiana, where we won uh, 71-68 uh, at our Coliseum in Fort Wayne in front of 12,000 people, and, and they wanted to replay it, and they wanted me to do a Zoom and kind of talk people through on live TV, um, or at least, I guess, tape it and, and have my, my – and, and I, told, um, uh, I told them I had never watched it in full. I still am yet to oh, watch wow. it in full. Um, I've watched it on highlights and, you know, we have our, our highlight videos and what we show recruits and things like that. Um, but, uh, I've never watched it in full. The next day was so crazy. Um, in terms of media, it was right over the Thanksgiving period to where we got filled up with that. And then we were, we were on to the next game. Um, and you know, it's, 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 it's like my engagement, which I, I did, uh, on a mic, uh, with my, my favorite cover band for my wife and I, it got taped. It's never as sexy right. in the replay as it is live, um, which I only watched a replay of my engagement one time. Um, so so um, I, I will say this. It was, it was an amazing, amazing experience. And it's one thing that's really helped to build our brand, not only in our city, um, obviously nationally, but, but, uh, but, but with our city, it, it's been huge for people jumping on board. And they recognize very early on what – Fort Wayne basketball can do for our community, putting us on the national level. And that's really helped us. We've transitioned into the Horizon League. This will be our first year in the Horizon League. And we need a bunch of people to, to step up as donors to do that. And they've stepped up the last three, four, five years so that we can, you know, redo facilities and, and, and things like that and help us go to Italy. Um, and that's because we just helped that they recognize the brand that we can do and um, I mean, it was cool that night, both my wife, who's also Coach Kaufman, she's a college softball coach, we both got on air with Freddie Coleman, and uh, that was really cool. You know, we, we get interrupted in our press conference to do that. Um, and then the next day, getting on Sports Center twice. Um, and then that next week, we got, in, uh, we got in Sports Illustrated. And, you know, we've, I've had Sports Illustrated uh, subscription ever since I was six years old. And so... You know, that's sort of the Taj Mahal for me. And, you know, to get mentioned in that, that was, that was awesome. That's great. Um, but I will tell you this, the next year, though, that was surreal. We were supposed to take a year off. And this was Archie Miller's first year. And we, uh, we had uh, IUPUI just left our league. So we had a late opening in our schedule. We had to fill two games. And it's in, like, June. And so I reached out to, uh, to Indiana. And said, hey, can we execute that return game of the guarantee back at your place this year? And, you know, I didn't really want to do it. I wanted to celebrate that win for another year um, before they beat us by 70 down in Bloomington. And we go down there, and, uh, and it, was, it was an unbelievable experience. We were able to keep the game close. Um, and we had really, really good guards. Uh, you know, Mo, Mo, Mo Evans. Um, uh, uh, John Conchar, Bryson Scott, Kaysen Harrell, I mean, elite level guards. And it was that same guard group that was coming back again. And, uh, and then, you know, we added Dylan Carl, who ended up being a, he hit four threes as a five man in that game. We hit 17 threes in that game. And that was really surreal. Um, you know, to where we end up, uh, we beat them 92, 72 in Bloomington. Wow. Uh, in back-to-back -back years. Well, they say that, you know, if if the university or a school is a house, sports are the front porch, what everyone sees. So 
it's amazing what a win can do for a program and a town, like you said, and just the overall community and the lifeblood it can be for, for your players, their families, the whole school for sure. Now, will you play Indiana in the future? Will you guys still play each other or – we, we, so the, the last game we had down there was the last game of the contract. And so um, we've taken a few years off. And I would suspect that we'll, we'll play again at, at, at some stage of it. But, uh, um, you know, it, it's, it's, a good, it's, a, it's a good game for us. But honestly, it's not a great game for those guys. You've got everything to win. They've got everything to lose, right? It, 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 is, a, it is a challenging game. And, uh, you know, I'm sure if we played them again – uh, and then they had the opportunity. They beat us by 150. And so I, I'd rather not lose by 150 down the stretch. Absolutely. Here. And then one, one more thing. You've been one of the speakers to speak at the Hoosier Gym uh, a couple of times. Can you just talk about the Hoosier Gym for just a second, the history, what it's like to be in there, how, how, what it does for that town? And, you know, like I said, you're one of the – I think the only speaker we've had speak to that twice. Well, I, it starts with Indiana basketball. And I mean, 16 of the 17 largest high school gyms in the country are, are, are in our state. I mean, Newcastle High School right down the road um, from Hoosier Gym has 10,000 seats and has a Hall of Fame. And, and, you know, you recognize that Indiana basketball is just really, really special. And obviously with the Hoosiers movie and you can uh, in this podcast, you look in my corner right here, uh, you'll see right here in the corner. Oh yeah, now, you can't. I got that. That was in, and I grew up in Atlanta. Uh, I'm a Georgia boy, and I grew up there. And I was coming up around that same age where I was a little kid when Hoosiers was coming up. And I respected even back then uh, how cool that movie was. And I've had that poster uh, ever since it came out. And I guess what 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 year was the the movie? Nin- 1986. 1986 so I would have been like a like a sophomore freshman in high school I know uh, eighth grader in high school um and I had that poster up but but so so like I grew up understanding that well then I got the invite from you to go down and speak at it and it's 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 unreal you talk about it's it's one of those experiences like like beating Indiana uh it's just like you you look around and you know the history of of that building with the movie and the storyline and you know as a mid-major you know that's where I mean it's always been David and Goliath and so that's where I I, I've loved that you know I'm a six-foot guard that shot the ball but I wasn't super quick it didn't jump super high so that David and Goliath philosophy for me and so the story the movie's always meant so much to me so then you go and you speak at this and it's just really really cool and surreal being you know in that in that environment and then obviously I got to speak in it twice and once I believe it was the first year you first put one. on the clinics and then I came back two years later so the third year of the clinics and I mean it was quadruple the numbers maybe more than that packed yeah. out and and that was really really impressive yeah the numbers have really picked up and what I love about what uh love about the clinic or sorry the gym is you have a lot of volunteers who run the gym and they take such pride in it and they have a lot of the original memorabilia there, the original floor. You know, they modernized it with some good lighting and some Wi-Fi, but it is what it is. You're sitting on the old wooden bleachers, and it's really, really cool. And we've been blessed to have you speak twice. And, again, we're planning on having it this year. We'll obviously see what the future holds, but we're still planning on, uh, you know, I'm going to be hyper-optimistic that eventually life will get back to normal sooner than later. But, Coach, thanks a lot for coming on. I have a great – Deal respect for your program. I'm one of these guys who has access to Synergy, and your I go watch your your clips a lot, and really appreciate uh, your willingness to share with us. Speaking at the clinic, and also coming on the podcast as well, because we're all trying to grow in this time. We're spending a lot of time at home, and you know, hoping to be back in the gym with our players soon. No, I, I agree. This is the longest I've ever been away from my players, and. Uh, 21 years of coaching and we're doing a lot of zooms with them trying to be creative with their development and our slogan that uh, we stole from doc rivers uh, there's a great article win the weight and we've stolen that slogan from him and you know i've always taken great pride that uh, that our players have gotten better from april through september and that's why you know we've we've, we've gotten so we've gotten so good as, as guys get better in our program john contra is playing the nba yep. we were only division one offer 
He put on 43 pounds of muscle in year one in, in, in our program. And so um, it's stories like that where, you know, I take so much pride. Well, this is a weird year. And so we're, we're trying to be really, really creative. And, you know, I hope we have a season. I hope we're back at your clinic. Um, I hope we're doing things like that. But it just, it, it, you know, it's, it's so much uncertainty. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, but I appreciate you having me on the podcast. And, uh, you know, if, if, uh, if anybody reaches out to you and wants to contact me directly, feel free to, uh, to share my cell number. Okay, I sure will. Thank you, Coach. All right, thanks. Thanks for joining us on the United Basketball Podcast. I hope you'll listen again to future episodes.